many of you guys get tired some days trying to live out your faith? You get tired some days trying to live out your faith? Come on, come on. Can we just be real? Be transparent. Real people, real hope, real life? Come on. Who has struggles some days living out your faith? Get your hand up. All right, good. We got an honest church. I like it. It is hard. And the more years you log, some days the tougher it is. It's easy to get cynical, isn't it? It's easy to, to stand back and go, someday, come on, let's just get absolutely real. Does anybody, and I'm going to walk away from the Bible, I'm going to walk away from the pulpit for just a minute. Does anybody ever just wake up some days and go, Jesus, I love you, but your people are stupid. <laughs> Does anybody do that? Come on. Let me see your hands. Get real. Get real. I said it from the pulpit. Come on. All right, good. And the rest of you are lying. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Hanging from a telephone wire. It is hard to live out our faith in the real world. And, um, but God has put us in a place of influence and leadership. We're in this series right now called Game of Thrones, and we're talking about kingship and, and, and who sits on the throne of your heart and what do you do with the influence that God has given you. And how many of you would look at yourself and say, God has put me in a position of leadership? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. So not everybody in here feels like they're in a position of leadership. Let me explain what leadership is. Leadership is simply influence. So if you have anyone in your life that you have influence with, you're a leader. Okay, that if you're a dad, you're a leader. If you're a mom, you're a leader. If you're a sister or a brother to someone, you're a leader because you have influence in your sibling's life. Every person, whether you know it or not, you have influence with someone, okay? And leadership is all about influence. And so as we, we're going to look today at the story of Saul a little bit, and next, um, the next time I preach on this, I'm going to talk a little bit about David, and I'm going to have to, because of the nature of the two stories, weave David and Saul together a little bit because um, they, their kingdoms overlapped. But... Um, this week, I want to talk about leadership and kingship and influence. And how many of you guys have read the Chronicles of Narnia books? Any of you read? How many of you have read more than one Chronicle of Narnia? Okay. How many of you have read all seven? Because you're just, yep, like we're just that geeky and it's cool. Like turn to your name, just be, do that because that's what I, I like that. Okay. Now, how many of you are like, that's just too dang much work, but I watched the movies. Okay. All right. Good. That's okay. Just own that. Live there. That's good. All right. So we've just got different people and we do. And it's awesome. I love to read. Read all seven books. Read them a few times. I like it. And there's this interesting thing. There's this story of the um, how many of you guys have ever read The Horse and His Boy? The Horse and His Boy. Obviously, if you read the whole series, you read The Horse and His Boy. The rest of you are like, nope, never heard of it. Okay. So so The Horse and His Boy. I'm going to read this because I tried to encapsulate it real quick. So Shasta is the main character in C.S. Lewis, The Horse and His Boy. And the thing about Shasta, besides being a cheap soda from the 80s, is that Shasta didn't know he was a king in training, okay? 
He was an orphan of mysterious background. Nobody knew kind of where he came from. He was raised by a poor fisherman called Arshish. Shasta discovers he is on the verge of being sold into slavery, so Shasta escapes with Bree, the talking horse. It's like Mr. Ed's cousin. So all of you in your 40s or older, you know what I'm talking about. That's good. Everybody else is like, Mr. what? And the, the two head north for Bree's homeland of Narnia, and Shasta is overjoyed. He's been longing his whole life to go north, and Bree actually suspects that Shasta comes from northern stock. Through a series of adventures, Shasta comes to discover that he is indeed of northern blood. More than that, he is in fact a prince. At the end of the story, King Loon speaks with Shasta about the training and learning he will have to catch up on because he's the rightful heir to the throne. Okay? So if you're wondering, like, what does this have to do? Believers in Christ, we're in the same exact position because we are in training to reign. We're in training to reign. Okay, turning your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Um, it's interesting because uh, in the Bible, this reality that we are designed to rule is sometimes more implied than explained. Like Paul, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 2 through 3, he says, he says um, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world and that you will judge the angels? To which we're all like, no, I didn't know that. I'm still not exactly sure how all that fits together. It's just kind of this thing that Paul drops in the middle of the letter to the Corinthians, and we're all kind of like, what? what? We're going to judge angels and we're going to judge the world? That, I don't really understand fully how all that works. But Paul just drops it because Paul has this understanding that we don't. And the reality is it's not really important because that's not what the, the Bible was designed for, right? The Bible is designed for redemption. It's designed to tell the story of redemption. It's designed so that you can be prepared for your eternity, but your eternity is not all spelled out for you, okay? So you don't have to worry about it. Don't have to stress about it. And so um, he uses this reality to strengthen his argument to the Corinthians that they need to be careful how they judge each other because they're going to end up judging the world, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the first chapter of the Bible, and this talks to us about God's design for things. And it's interesting because um, Jesus, even when he does, again, here's the big word, hermeneutics, which is a study of the word, study of the Bible. When Jesus applies hermeneutics, he always does it this way when he can. He goes back to the beginning, to God's design, and he says, when God created, this is what he did. I was just reading this morning how when he's talking and giving his argument about divorce, he goes back to Genesis and says, when God created, he made the male and female, and he said, the two shall become one flesh. So why would you try to rip apart what God's put together, right? So God, God talks about, or Jesus talks about it from the point of creation and the order that God designed. So with that in mind, let's read, Verse 26 of Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. So here's one of the things, and, and <clears throat> a lot of people get confused on what does it mean to be made like God or what does it mean to be made in the image of God. Part of that is our spirit. We see that when God creates man and God crafts him from the ground and then he breathes his spirit into them, right? So we see that kind of God depositing part of himself into us that's like God. We're different from animals that way. But there's also this um, part here where it says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign. 
So another way that we are like God is that we are designed to reign. We're designed for dominion, right? It says, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So we see in the order of creation and God's design for humanity that he made us to reign. He gave us authority. He gave us dominion. He gave us the opportunity. The problem with so many of us is that we don't live like we have the authority that we're supposed to have. We're not living like we have the authority that we're supposed to have. Going back to Shasta, this kid that was a prince, he was born into a bloodline that gave him authority to rule. But he lived as an orphan and was not able to exercise his authority. So many of us today as believers in Jesus are living life as orphans. We've been born into the bloodline of Christ, but we live as though we're orphans. And we do not exercise the authority that God has placed within us when he created us in his image. Guys, you don't have to, I get so tired of hearing Christians say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm really nothing. I'm kind of like gum on the bottom of God's shoe. No, you are not. You are free in Jesus. You have been called the son of God. You've been called a daughter of the king. You're not the lowest. God put you in a place of authority and says, I've given man dominion. And Jesus, when he went to hell on our behalf, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave to give us authority back over Satan so that he didn't have dominion over it. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had given Adam dominion. But what Adam did is he said, I'm going to break my covenant with God in order to get what God has. But when he tried to reach for what was God's, he lost what was his. When he tried to reach for what was God's, he lost what was his. And God had given him dominion. And he traded it to Satan for a piece of fruit. It was a temporary satisfaction. It was a temporary desire for knowledge. I just want to know what God knows. I remember when I was a kid growing up for Christmas, I got... um, My mom got some gifts for us, and she wrapped them and put them in her closet. And there was this one gift that I decided to go back, and I took a razor blade, and I cut along the paper, and I opened it up, and I slid it out of the box. Sneaky. It was a video game for my Nintendo. It was Kung Fu. I opened the game, pulled it out, unpackaged it, and played it while my mom was gone. I heard the car coming back. My mom, so the interesting thing, my mom had this station wagon. We we had this 84 station wagon, Oldsmobile, Cutlass, Custom Cruiser. But the problem was my dad got rear-ended, well, hit in the side, kind of got T-boned, but it just like destroyed the back quarter panel of the car and it knocked the muffler loose so that when my mom would start it, it would like... And you would hear mom coming down the street, right? She she would start the thing and dogs would start barking. Mothers would pull their children off the streets. Everybody like, no, here it comes. Here it comes again. 
But we loved it because we always got a warning before mom came home. Mom, if you're watching online, I just want you to know that I'm so sorry that we behaved this way when we were kids. Please forgive us. So we had this, this, this window of time where mom was coming down the streets. And, and we, so I was playing this game and I hear, I could hear it coming down the street. And I'm like, oh, shoot, pull it out of the console, put it back in the thing and then stuck it back in the cellophane, got the little scotch tape and closed it up and then I put it back in the wrapping paper and closed up the wrapping paper put it back in and you know what happened to me though my mom never found out well except now because she's watching <laughs> watching on online but but my mom didn't find out until today that I did that and you know she she didn't she didn't do anything to me immediately but what happened to me was that I lost the mystery. I lost the excitement. I lost the joy. I remember getting that present, and it was the last present that I wanted to open. And when I opened it, it was anticlimactic because I already knew what was in there, and I already had the experience of it, and I already had the knowledge of it, and that ruined it for me. And this is kind of what Adam and Eve did, that moment of excitement. You're thinking, man, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And then God said, okay, you got it. How do you like it? Because what you traded in that moment, you got the raw end of the deal. And so, so this covenant relationship between God and man was broken. Because God designed us to rule. God designed us with authority. And Adam trained that, traded that authority. He traded that dominion in a moment. But then Jesus comes and he establishes a new covenant, doesn't he? And he does so in his blood. And in that moment, when Jesus, the Bible says, Paul tells us um, that Jesus ascended, but if he ascended, that also means that he had to descend, right? So he went to hell. A lot of people don't know this. If you're new to faith and and you don't understand things, you're kind of like, what? That's kind of new. That's weird. But this is what happens when Jesus died on the cross. He went to hell for us. He took, the Bible says, the keys to death, hell, and the grave, which was the authority The keys were a sign of authority. The king had the authority. He carried the keys. Whoever had the keys had the authority. And so Jesus says, I think you've had this long enough. And I always have this image of Jesus going to hell. And, you know, he didn't have the keys when he went to hell. And so I just see him kicking in the door like, like those cop shows, you know, and just like knocking the door and the thing goes off. And Jesus goes in like, these belong to me takes them and like goes back up, rises from the dead, like check this out. You know, I love this image. It's so powerful. And when that happens, you all of a sudden now you have the authority to reign with Christ. And what does Jesus say? It's it's so cool when we look at Luke's gospel because Luke tells us, he says, um, you have the authority to tread on scorpions and snakes He says, but don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you. Who's subject to you? Demon, what? But I thought it was scary because I saw the exorcist and there's this this time when the priest walks in, right? And he's got the cross and the girl's head spinning around and she's like vomiting and stuff. And I was like, what? Because it's scary. Anytime in a horror movie, the priest comes in, he ain't coming out good, right? Have you noticed that? That's not the way it works. 
It's one of the movies, one of the reasons I hate horror movies so much is because they tell lies about your authority. And the enemy will sell you lies wherever he can. If he can sell them to you in a movie, he'll sell them to you in a movie. If he can sell them to you in a book, he'll sell them to you in a book. If he can sell them to you throughout culture, he'll let culture take a prevalent turn so that you start believing what's not true. Because if he can, if he can make the church impotent, he'll be satisfied because we won't reproduce. The issue is not in who's already saved. The issue is in who you will bring to Christ. The issue is when the church of Jesus Christ starts walking down the street and sees people who are struggling with bondage to demonic influence, and they say, not today, not today. Today, we're going to take authority, and we're going to see God do a miracle in your life. Paul experienced a miracle in a moment. He came to Christ, and Christ delivered him transformed him. Not because Paul is so awesome and not because Paul has such incredible willpower, but because God said, I'm going to change your life in a moment, in a moment. That's what deliverance looks like. That's what freedom looks like. That's what the authority of Christ in the life of a believer looks like. It's powerful. It's transforming. Now turn to Revelation chapter 22. This is the last book, last chapter of the Bible. So check this out. Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. It says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Okay, so right now, we still live under a curse. There's still complications from Adam and Eve's sin, right? The earth is still under a curse. The the, uh, women, have you noticed that giving birth to babies still hurts? I don't know. Some of you didn't know that, but... It does. That's what my wife tells me. I don't, I've never experienced it. It's just what I've heard. So I was expecting an amen from some ladies, but that's okay. So we have this, this, this thing. There's this process. There's this struggle between men and women. There are these sin struggles that we have. Why? Because there's still a curse. But when Jesus comes back, that curse will be broken completely. See, our authority was restored to us, but the curse remains. So you have authority in the midst of a curse. Touch your neighbor, say, we have authority in the midst of the curse. You need to believe that. You need to understand that because your circumstances may not change all the time, but your authority level and your peace level and your strength and your freedom can change in spite of your circumstances. I heard one of the young women that that spoke um, at the Fine Arts Festival. Man, she... She got me. She, she had me. She was talking about how um, she had this dream of being a dancer from the time she was four years old. And she was doing ballet and all of this stuff. And when she turned 12, she got her opportunity to do point for the first time. You know, the girls get the little ballet shoes and they do point with that, you know. And she, she, she got that and she was so excited. And the day that she strapped them on, in class, she started to dance and she kept falling and all of the other girls were dancing beautifully and she kept falling and falling and she thought, well, maybe I just have something that I need to check out at the doctor and she went to the doctor and had all these different appointments. Finally, the doctor said, said sweetie, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have a, a, a disease, I believe it's called CMT. It's a degenerative nerve disease. And he said, you're not going to get better. You're going to get worse. And this is a death sentence for you. 
You will die of this. And this little girl is up here, and she's preaching her guts out. And then, and then she starts to cry as she's preaching. And she says, you know what? Even though this is a curse for me, I'm able to find God's strength in it because God's doing something in me. And man, the tears are just pouring down her cheeks. And all of us that were adjudicating, we're sitting there and we're listening to her story and we're just weeping as she's telling her story. And she says, you know, the amazing thing about God is that he has this way of just bringing a very confusing peace into the midst of our turmoil. And I thought, what a neat word picture. Confusing peace. You know, Paul talks about the peace that passes understanding. And I think she did a good job of rephrasing that, just confusing peace. You experience peace and you're like, I don't understand. I don't know why I feel at peace right now. I don't think I should feel at peace because because I've got this degenerative muscle disease and my prognosis hasn't changed, but my peace level changed. What's that mean? I don't understand. How can this be? I, I I don't understand because nothing's changed with this broken relationship. There's still a struggle there. But my peace level's changed. I don't understand. How does that happen? It's confusing peace. And see, that's what authority in the middle of a curse looks like. Because you get to walk in the authority of Christ, and it says the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's this part of walking in authority. You don't have to live in turmoil and drama all the time. Touch your neighbor, say, drama class is canceled. Yes, come on. I think you need to poke somebody one more time. Poke them, say, drama class is canceled. We don't need to live in the middle of the drama. You can have peace. You can have peace. You can have peace. Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. Because it's in the presence of the throne of God that everything, every curse is broken, every pain goes away, every tear in your eye is dried, and God makes everything right. It's in his kingship. It's his throne. It's his authority. Your authority is impugned. You don't have any on your own. Your authority comes directly from Christ. It's his authority that you get the opportunity to wield. If you read Ephesians chapter 6, it says, take on the whole armor of God, right? Helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the feet shod in the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit and the, and the shield of faith. You go through all of these things, pray in the spirit at all times and on all occasions. Where does that come from? It comes from Christ. Why do you have the authority to stand in the face of battle? He says, having done all, stand. Why can you stand? Because you're covered in his armor. You're covered in his authority. You're covered in his strength. That's why you can stand. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And some of you just checked out right there. You're like, what's he going to do to my forehead? Well, he's going to write something on my forehead? Like, I remember, 
I remember one time Abby walks in the room and she has drawn on her face a mustache, a little curly mustache and a little beard, and she did it with Sharpie marker. And she walks in the house, or she walks in the room, and she's like, look, Daddy. And I'm like, Dad, don't wash off. She's got it in her hand. And it was like four days. She's got this goofy mustache and stuff. And we're like using the loofah. And I got the acetone out of the garage. And I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't. It's okay. Don't call child services. We, but she was, she was a mess. And when I read this at first, I was like, what's he going to do to our forehead? And then I started reading about it. And what happens when you encounter God? He puts his impression, his imprint on you. What happened to Moses when he went before God on the mountain? God put his imprint on Moses' face, right? I believe that God wrote his name on Moses' face in that moment. His name's not a written name. His name just is. It just is. It, it is his presence imprinted on us. That's his name, his presence imprinted. And when I think about Moses walking off the mountain with God's presence imprinted on his face, that's the picture that I get here in Revelation chapter 22. He's, he's, he's just, we're going to be walking around heaven with his presence imprinted on us. We just can't get away from it. He just radiates from us. And it says, and there will be no night there. Why? Because there's a bunch of glowworms walking around. There will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. Who's he shine on? Them. Who's them? Us. He will shine on you, and you will radiate his light. I like to think of it this way. I love to look out at the moon at night. I love, how many of you guys watched when we had the super mega blood moon or whatever it was? You guys, it was like gigantic and it did the eclipse and it was cool. And remember when we went out and watched that thing? And I remember watching that thinking, this is awesome. But, but there's that moment where the, the moon gets blacked out, right? Why? Because the moon only reflects the light of the sun. It's the same for us. We don't have any light on our own. We just reflect the light of the sun. You are reflecting the light of the sun. Everywhere you go, you give light in darkness, but the light doesn't belong to you. The light is a reflection of the sun. You reflect the sun. And his authority and his glory pours through you, and you have the opportunity to change and lead and influence and grow and move people the right direction. You're going to encounter people that, that come at you with gossip and come at you with words, and you're going to say, you know what? That's not what we're going to do here. We're going to shed light on this, and we're going to say, we are here to reflect the light of the sun, not the darkness of our enemy, right? Because the enemy is what? He's an accuser of the brothers, right? So anytime you hear accusations, anytime you hear gossip, anytime you hear negativity, what is it? It's accusation, accusation, accusation. You know what? The light of God doesn't shine in accusation. The light of God shines when we reflect the sun. You're going to get into arguments with your spouse. I don't ever get in arguments. I'm just saying you will. <clears throat> but in those moments, we bring the light of Christ into that. Can I tell you a secret? And we're going to examine this mo more in the, in the next installment of Game of Thrones. But pride is at the root 
of every argument that you will ever have. Pride is at the root of every argument that you will ever have. Because you're saying, I deserve, I'm entitled to, I need, why aren't you giving something to me that I need? And that's where the problem starts to come into play. I can't wait to preach this next message as we, we talk um, about Saul. And I was going to talk about Saul today, but I got stuck in Genesis and Revelation. Um, but I think this was the word for the Lord for today. And next time, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about Saul and how all of this reflects him as a leader. And so we probably need to change the sermon title uh, at some point from Saul. But we're going we're gonna to investigate uh, next time, and we're going to look at Saul's insecurities and Saul's pride, um, and how it was mistaken as humility, but it was really insecurity, and how that affected and painted everything. Um, and what's interesting is, I, I've only preached on pride a few times, and what's interesting about pride is nobody ever thinks they have a pride problem, right? We know people who have pride problems, right? I, know, like, I think just about everybody I know has an issue with pride, Right? But I'm good. Right? We hear stories about people like Saul. And when we read it, we're like, I know a guy that's just like Saul. But we refuse to see the Saul in ourselves, don't we? We don't see the Saul in ourselves that is throwing javelins at others. Right? So I probably will skip that week, Pastor, because I don't wrestle with pride. But, but, but I'll be there for the next one when you start talking about David because I can relate to David. Love David. Love David. Stand with me this morning. God, I pray right now for each person in this room. Lord, I pray that you would work and move, that you would let your presence and authority be known in them. God, each person in this room is a leader. Whether they know it or not, God, each person in this room is a leader. And you've called them, you've assigned them, you've given them a purpose and a plan. God, you've given them a sphere of influence, people that they're supposed to encourage toward you. I pray, God, that as they go through their week, that they would experience this authority of Christ in their life. Lord, you can't manufacture this. You can't understand it enough to act in it. You just have to act in it according to what the Spirit does in you, and that requires us to pursue you. God, I pray for each person in this room today that they would pursue you so that they can walk in the authority that you've called them to because their assignment is great. Their assignment is great. I pray, God, that you would just grant us your grace to walk in the authority to which you've called us. In Jesus' name we pray. The whole church said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. 